Hi everyone, today I'm excited to share my interview with country music artist Craig Silver, where we talk about the realities of what it takes to become an artist. This is a valuable conversation for anyone wanting to become a professional musician or learn more about how the music industry works. Welcome back to the podcast where I help you upgrade your mindset, money, and more so you can live a life full of financial freedom and purpose. Today's episode is brought to you by my latest transformational program called the Mindset, Money, and More Mastermind. And you guessed it, it's a mastermind group that's bringing together creators who desire to level up their mindset, money, and more with the group values of aspiration, authenticity, action, and the thing that I'm most excited for, accountability. So learn more about this exclusive opportunity by visiting mindsetmoneyandmore.com now. Today, I am excited to have a friend here, but more importantly, have someone who has broken into the professional music scene, who is a country music artist, who's going to tell you the good, the bad, the ugly, all about stepping into that world. So today, I'm excited to introduce a friend of mine, Craig Silver. And uh, Craig, Thanks for being here. Are you able to break down a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure thing. So my name is Craig Silver. I uh, got involved in the country music world in 2019, just before that nasty COVID break that we had. So I have been doing country music since. I've put out three singles and have learned a great deal about the music industry in those few years that I've been in it. Right. So you, you mentioned 2019, I think, being the year that you kind yeah. of started. Um, so it's been like a four years or so now. Uh, my question for you, though, is like, was it was music something you always did? Was country music something that was new to you at that time? How did you grow up? Were you musical? Did you play instruments? Like, yeah, tell us so more about how you got to this piece. I was actually sang live my first time when I was six years old on the stage. So, and obviously through a lot of people when they're doing things when they're young, it's usually from the church. So that was a lot of where I sang uh, live and got connected through music that way. Um, I also sang in choirs from grade three in school until all the way up to grade 12. There was one year that I missed because I had a bunch of people making fun of me saying that you shouldn't be in choir. That's not a manly thing. So I kind of backed out for a year and actually got into acting for a couple of years during that that little spiel. Um, I was in a small band in high school. We called it Pseudonym. And for all of you that are English majors out there, you know that that means the name to protect the actual name, which was kind of a interesting. Because <laughs> normally as an artist, I would guess you want people to know your name. Exactly. That's why I introduced you at the start of this episode. Exactly. So... Went from that, and then I joined a quartet when I went to college for a couple of years and toured in the New England States, uh, then moved on to Montreal. I was there for two and a half years with a professional black gospel choir who we also toured with, and we received two nominations, two spirit nominations for Juno Awards here in Canada. So yeah. That's... So you've been in the creative space, whether it was music, whether it was kind of the little kind of jaunt you had doing some acting and stuff like that um what is it about the creative space because for me up until i started doing youtube stuff i'm i wasn't let's say i almost said i'm not but that's not the case i wasn't a creative person or at least i didn't kind of view myself as that now that's changed but 
Like, what is it about the creative arts, if I can say that as a term, that has always kind of been something you gravitate towards? Yeah, I don't. the The idea of control comes to my mind, but it's not the it's not a negative ideal when it comes to control. It's more of it's something that you can express and have control over how you express to present yourself and and your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts towards things without necessarily being bombarded with someone else's ideas and regulations in that. So music has been a very much a a method of being able to present that. And interestingly enough, you and I listening to some of my music tonight has made me realize that I've been able to relax a bit more with that expression and start to put a lot more of my personal feelings and emotions into my music. Yeah, and and kind of back to that conversation that we had tonight, um, I've noticed a change in your writing, and that's something, if I can notice that, I think anybody listening to your music can be. And as a result, I think I like it. I've always liked it, mm-hmm. uh, not just because we're friends, but because you're very talented vocally, etc. But that's the, the, the emotion that you've been, mm-hmm. I guess, weaving into stuff is really for me been like oh this is something like i want to show people i want to share people yeah. i guess hence why we're jumping into this kind of conversation which essentially yeah. is what it is um so that's really cool to see um what about country music though like why is that something <laughs> new because i'm tracking back and you've done like you grew up in the church singing so like let's say like worship music and then you did a stint of like gospel music and then mm-hmm. you've always been singing since i've known you at least but what, how did you get to country? So country music, one of the things that I forgot about, but when I was younger, in my 12, 13, 14 years old um, age, I grew up in a, in a family that was very much country on my mother's side. Uh, so country was always big for them. Um, things like Kenny Rogers and um, Conway Twitty, Reba McIntyre, Dolly Parton, those were all people that my family would listen to. But for me... Is that because of where you're from? Uh, like where are you from? Technically speaking, yeah. I lived, I grew up in the, the Annapolis Valley, Nova Scotia. Um, so there has been technically a, a lot of country come out of there. Um, one of the older guys would have been Stompin' Tom that a lot of people Canadian knew. Canadian legend, for sure. Yep. Um, so that was something I think my family looked up to. So I actually did perform in a couple of uh, community country competitions, not country specific, but Mm -hmm. um, talent shows. And country was the thing that I sang. So things like Digging Up Bones and Chasing That Neon Rainbow from Alan Jackson. So those were a few of the things that I sang. But when I was 14, I kind of gave that up. Country wasn't the cool type of music to listen to it was more things like Pearl Jam and right. and Primus and before that Twisted Sister all those things were what my older brother would listen to so that's the type of stuff that I ended up moving into a bit more which is exactly what my band was about too it was more of an alternative music band than it was anything country okay cool yeah so country comes onto the scene and you really dedicated yourself to that mm-hmm. um that has also brought a move from Nova Scotia to Calgary. Mm-hmm. So one of the takeaways I want people listening to this episode now that we've kind of painted the picture 
is like if they are trying to get into the music scene going from just like somebody who likes to grab a guitar and sing or whatever instrument they play moving into that more taking things seriously um, you changed your environment you moved from nova scotia uh, the maritimes out to alberta mm -hmm. and and why because I'm sure there are a lot of people that would ask that same question. Why did you do that? Yeah, and interestingly enough, it had nothing to do with music in that sense. Um, when I moved to Alberta, it was to pursue my career in teaching. I had been told that there's this great spot in Alberta called Fort Vermilion that uh, great teachers go to and great teachers stay at. And it's a great place for people to be and to place their roots down. And it wasn't until I drove six and a half hours north of Edmonton to a godforsaken land that <laughs> was full of dust and uh, a small hamlet is what they called it, not even a town or a community. It was a hamlet of 756 people, and I was one of them. Um, so I spent a year there, but it was interesting because on the way through, and I'd, I'd lived in Alberta back in 2007 as well after the gospel choir thing. So knowing full well that uh, country music was very much a part of what Alberta is about. I would claim that country music in Canada or the Nashville of Canada would definitely be Calgary, Alberta, where the Calgary Stampede is, one of the biggest outdoor shows in the world. Um, so country was definitely something that was on my radar. But at that point, I wasn't really playing or writing music. Oh, okay. So you find yourself out there for whatever reason teaching being your reason mm -hmm. and you're in alberta calgary is like the nashville the mecca the mm -hmm. place to be um why is it the place to be for country music though yes there's a stampede but like more so like what is it about calgary that there seem to be so many country music stars there yeah uh calgary as long as uh, along with a lot of the different places that were inhabited in Alberta is called the Great West. And everybody everybody knows the whole Western cowboy Indian thing from the past. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of um, horse-driven cowboy um, farms there. Still is a lot of farms where they use actual horses to round up cattle at times. Um, some of the free-range cattle farms. Um, and... If you head down to Crow's Nest Pass in Alberta, they still have uh, Texas gates on the main highway going into the mountains where there is an area where cattle roam free. Hmm. So they could come up on the road at any point in time. And you have people that are visiting actually complain and say, what the heck are these cows doing on the road for? But it's just a free range roaming area where they still use horses around these guys up right wow so it just sounds like obviously country music is essentially a way of life it is okay. definitely is yeah um, and there's a lot of even i know some other artists that have moved from other provinces to come to alberta because that that's their genre is country music and so they feel they're going to get a better run at the whole thing in alberta okay yeah, yeah. so i mean aside from finding your yourself out there how did you first get into that scene? Did you, uh, were you approached? Did you just have a guitar and you showed up at a, a karaoke night? Like, how did you get into that scene? Because I think breaking into any music scene 
would be something that I wouldn't have a clue where to even start. Yeah. So uh, part of it was just being still a part of the church out in Alberta and playing and singing with uh, the morning services. I had someone approach me and ask me, would I be willing to consider going into a global country star search? Um, Because I felt that I'm a good singer. This could be a good start to a career for me or to move my uh, abilities forward. And I've had a lot of people over the years ask me, including students in Fort Vermilion and other places, why I wasn't pursuing a career in music. So I figured, well, I'll try this out. I'm not really happy that it's all about country, but I will go and try this out and see where I place. Um, So that's what happened, and I ended up going through this competition. Okay. And how did that go? Like, what was the end result for you? So I, uh, for me, my decision was if I didn't get first place, I wasn't pursuing this. And uh, so I got runner up and in my head, I just basically said, well, that's it. I'm not going to continue down this road. Um, And the prize was actually to go down to Nashville and compete at the Canadian or not the Canadian, sorry, the North American country music competition. Um, so I walked up to get my plaque for runner up and I was told by the organizer of the event that I was only one point off of first place and I too would be going to Nashville to compete. Wow. So yeah, so I guess I was stuck for country for a little while. (laughs) For sure. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's cool because it sounds like somebody else recruited you for this opportunity Mm -hmm. because they knew that you had talent and they knew that you had, uh, the ability to do that this person sees that in you gets you out there and then boom you're headed down for a really cool opportunity to nashville mm-hmm. um that's like a one-time thing though so that was how many years ago that was 2019 2019 okay so yeah. that was four years ago now and you're still doing it so yeah. obviously i know it's a passion of yours now mm-hmm. um i know that you find a lot of joy in that as well but if and because this has been a four-year thing there's obviously has to be some sort of like continuity that drive that passion is there um what non-musical skills do you have because you can sing we all know that anybody that (laughs) listens to you uh can hear that whether that's live in person or whether that is through some of your videos or your your songs and streaming what non-musical skills do you have that have helped get your name out there in the musical scene because I'm sure there are plenty of talented vocalists or uh, instrumentalists but there's more to the package than just music yeah and a lot of that has been a steep learning curve for me over the past four years Um, social media websites um, connecting with other venues connecting with other uh, management companies in the in the music industry as well as promoters has been all part of this past four years. Um, I think part of where your question is coming from too and where that passion is coming from is for a long time, I kind of lived in that that mentality of, well, you know, I, I might do this or I could do this in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always had that defeatist mentality of, well, you know, it's, it's going to take a lot of work and, and in reality I might not ever make it, so why bother? Um, and, uh, I was under a really good mentor. His name was Leon Fontaine. And I learned a whole lot about recognizing my worth 
and and my abilities, um, even in my my relationship with God, to be able to move forward and to understand that I'm made for so much more than what I was allowing myself to believe. Mm. Um, so that has been a huge part of the change and recognizing that not only do I have the ability to sing, but it is a gift and I need to use it and I need to treat it as such. Um, so that has been a, a huge part of the driving force because, I mean, you can you can learn about social media, you can learn about the, the websites, you can do all that stuff, but if you don't have a motivating factor, that's just work. It's yeah. not fun. Um, but when you recognize that you have the ability and you can, the sky is the limit and no matter what age you're at, you can still move forward and, and do something great with, with your abilities. That's what motivates you and that's what pushes you to learn a whole lot more. So the steep learning curve was actually something that was fun for me, not something that was, um, burdensome. So, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And that's cool to hear that, hear you say that. Um, one of the things that just piqued my interest is you talked about no matter what age you're at, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, I'm sure that there are a lot of people looking at you who you aren't old, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you're not the 18, 20 year old yeah. person c- coming onto the scene. So mm-hmm. like, how can you use your age, your wisdom, your experience, the lessons you've learned, whatever, um, as a strength mm-hmm. compared to other people might use that to hold you back. Like, how do you balance that out? Well, I believe that a huge part of it, I mean, we all know this. We go to people that are older than us, our elders, people that have experienced different situations in life, whether it be war, whether that be famine during the 30s. All those people have stories to tell hmm. and and much deeper rooted and, and more meaningful stories than a 18, 19 year old that hasn't lived a ton of life yet. Not to say that some of them haven't lived some really hard and, mm-hmm. and hard knock lives, um, but not necessarily as much time to process through it and to live through it and to live out of it and come out of it and be able to tell it in a story. So I think a lot of what, and this is what I talked to uh, ranchmans recently about when they asked me um, what I bring to the table when it came to the, the Rising Star competition was what do I have to bring that's different? And a lot of that is, is the passion. It's also the, the ability to relax in what I know is my abilities and not have mm-hmm. to fight because I'm wondering if I'm good at it or wondering if I'm bad at it. And I know that comes across sounding cocky, but it's not. It's I'm at an age where I know my abilities. I know if I'm good at it or if I'm not, and I know where I can go with it. So I think with that, with that knowledge, um, I'm able to be comfortable on the stage, um, and I have experience, a lot of experience on stage now, so it's not something that I, I stress about when I'm up there. I just have fun, and I bring the rest of the people, whether it be the audience or my other musicians, into that fun and let them relax and let them present and, and party with the people that they're presenting to. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think people can get focused on the idea that music music scene i guess is a party which of course there's lots mm-hmm. of that uh, in a good way and a bad way maybe but um <laughs> there's a lot of people involved too mm-hmm. and so a question that i've always probably looked at celebrities musicians bands etc there seems to be a lot of people in your court and those can be good or bad people uh i just think it would be really hard to navigate 
the relationships of the music industry, whether it's the people that you're singing alongside in a competition or they're performing one night, you're performing the next night, um, whether it's people that are reaching out to you, because I get people reaching out to me all the time saying, mm -hmm. hey, I want to edit your videos and I want to help you do this and that. And hey, there's so many get people. Your search engine optimization oh, figured out. I've got that email probably a hundred times in the last yep. month, yep. right? How in the music scene do you make sure that you're surrounding yourself with good people in your corner rather than people that are just out there to, to benefit themselves? That's a good question. And I mean, we've had some chats about this before as well. Uh, I get so many emails and I mean, I don't have the 10 to 15,000 followers that some other people do. So I, I just imagine how many emails and, and uh, propagated material they get. Um, so yeah, it, it is a tough, it's a tough road as a musician if you don't have someone um, on your side and someone that you know is not out to get your money, is not out to be your manager or force themselves on you and tell you how great of a, a person they are in the music industry. Because uh, I think that like if I had a little bit of experience, I, I've managed people a lot. <laughs> And like, I know what people want to hear and I know what people probably don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I could, if I had bad intentions, like I think I could uh, pull a fast one on people pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, it seems like that could be very common. Like, mm -hmm. so like, how do you get those people in your corner? Like, <laughs> like, is it just trial and error? Is it a matter of you use things based off like people recommendation? Some of it uh, is. Because the reality is, is that, I mean, you know, and I know just from conversations that I, I've had a lot of the bad apples come my way. And, and, and it has been a lot of money that has been spent figuring this stuff out. And uh, time and energy, all energy, that stuff. Yeah. That could... So you get to the point, uh, at times, it's, it's easy for you to get to the point where you want to give up. Um, but then you realize that music really is a business on top of just being an art and part of being in business means that you got to filter through this stuff and it doesn't matter what business you're in whether you're you're in a local corner store or you've got a, a an online business or whatever else you're always going to have to filter through those people mm. um i i think honestly a a good um a good judge or a good flag if you want to put it that way that comes up when you meet the right person is that they're not asking you for your money Right. That's not their motivating yes. factor, at least. Yep. And yeah. not only are they not asking you for your money, they're also talking to you about how much they know about what you've done. Because some people will send you the email, hey, man, I've checked out your website. I love your music. Oh, yeah. So tell me, what, what song did you like? Yeah. Or then, they address it as like, it should be, hi, Craig. And they say, hi, Jonathan. Like, I really yeah. love your stuff, right? <laughs> or, like, or, hey, Craig, we think you're the perfect person to... Uh, to demonstrate how great our jewelry is. Okay, cool. I was going to say, I get those emails about women's uh, yep. fitness clothes all the <laughs> yeah. time. Women's uh, fitness clothes. I'm the wrong guy for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, like, so, like, how do you vet that? <laughs> uh, so, I, I think, like, I've, I've personally come to the point where, unless it's someone that has come through my website to email me personally on my personal email, I know it's a bot, so I don't I don't bother listening to that. I I'm I'm a guy that likes to meet people in person. Really? And and yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> just kidding. And just learn who they are, 
learn what their background is. Um, but I think a lot of it is you have to do your, your own work. You have to do your investigation on them, talk to other people, not in a negative manner, but just talk to them about what their experience has been with that person. Mm. Um, how well do they know them? What interactions have they had with them? What interactions do they know that others have had with them? You, you really do got to do your due diligence on these things. Um, with the new guy that I've connected with, I have no doubt in my mind that he's not out to that he's out to get me. Um, but a lot of that is because I know what organization he works for. So if he messes up, then I can definitely go to his organization real quick because I'm a member of it. Right. So, so again, it's that reputation and other people's feedback and and knowing who and what motivates somebody makes you willing to work with them, basically. Right. Okay. Cool. So you've navigated those relationships um, and kind of figuring out those pieces um, I'm curious to know for people listening that are like I want to move from being a hobbyist into a professional and I'm really pursuing music as a career and that sometimes could be as a side hustle at first mm -hmm. but taking it and approaching it with that serious professional mentality yes I might not be a full-time musician yet but everything that I'm doing is laying the foundation for that to come like right. what is one valuable lesson that you've learned and that could be from a hard bad circumstance mm -hmm. or that could be from something that's just been revealed to you over time i'm not sure something else but what's one valuable lesson you've learned in the 40 years that you've been doing country music <laughs> it's work if you're not willing to put the work in then you're not willing to go to a professional level so what does that work look like that means not just picking up your car, guitar once a week, not just singing once a week, not just uh, singing without warming up. Um, you need to you need to make it a habit. It needs to become habitual because in the end it becomes work. Yeah. So talking about habits, I'm big on habits. I love those stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I like to structure my days and my weeks mm -hmm. and my months out. So what does a normal day or a week or a month, whatever time frame is best to explain yeah. the true picture mm -hmm. of being a professional artist? Like what does your regular timetable look like? Yeah. So typically my band and I, um, even when we don't have gigs coming up in the near future, we'll still be practicing at least once a week. And that's that includes probably about four hours of practice. And that's whole band. That's a whole band. Okay. And um, you're if, a solo, but also you have a band as well. Right. Or is it all band now? Uh, it's not all band. I still do some solo gigs. Um, I've got a few coming up here in the new month. And so my case is, but I, I'm also at a point now where I have a repertoire of about 45 to 50 songs that are already in my head. I can perform them. I don't need a screen in front of my face for all my lyrics. There's some songs that I still do with that, but there are also newer songs that I've brought into the repertoire. But these are all things that people got to think about because it's not just singing, it's not just playing, it's not all. It's it's performing too. It's making that connection with your crowd while you're singing. You don't take the next step unless you perform, mm -hmm. and it, it really is performance. And performance takes practice. It takes work. It takes understanding of your crowd. So reading the room is also another part of it. So yeah, there's there's a whole lot more that comes into it than just being able to pick up a guitar, strum a few chords, and hope that you're singing the right notes yeah I, I can imagine um 
all of those things, like I, I kind of expected what you said. There were a few things that surprised me there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some of the conversations we've had more recently have been about songwriting and that mm-hmm. process. Um, you seem, from my perspective at least, who definitely has some musical ability. Um, I'm no professional, I'll tell you that right now. But you seem to have really stepped up your game in that area. Mm-hmm. Like how? Like how do you do that? Do you just do you just write songs? Do you are you in workshops? Are you doing sessions? Uh, so like here, how's that work? Yeah, here's where the here's where the work becomes art again. Mm. So there's it's a fine dynamic between seeing it as a job on the parts that do need to be business minded, but then going back to the art and the heart of what you're doing. Um, I think at the first part, I was trying to write music that was mainstream, trying to write music that I figured everybody would like, Mm -hmm. instead of stepping back and writing music that was from my heart and what I wanted to teach people. Because you're also teaching people through your music as much as I teach people in school. But yeah, so I I think I stepped back and realized, um, and just as... uh, the guy that's working with me now has told me to be me and it's hard because you, you try to you know it's a business you know you need to work the business side of it but you can lose the heart of your music if you don't focus on that and pull away from the business side at times mm-hmm. so yeah I think a big part of what's changed in my music is I've pulled back from the business side and start writing music that I want to write not writing music for what I think people want to hear I think that's probably what describes it the best. Right. Uh, Yeah, that (laughs) makes plenty of sense, right? If you see somebody who's passionate about something, whether it's in music, whether it's in uh, YouTube content creation, or it's uh, selling pies, like it it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what it is. People that are passionate about it, their passion shows and comes out. And that's when it's contagious for people. If I have the option to go buy shoes from two different people down the street, and one of them is super boring, like not very friendly. Uh, I'm not going to buy from them when I could just walk across the street and buy from like a friendly, outgoing, uh, just awesome individual. So that makes sense to me that people that are passionate about things, uh, you're going to be able to see. And through music, it's not just seeing or hearing. It's also experiencing. Um, so that's that makes plenty of sense to me. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was going to say, I think one of the one of the songs that we were actually listening to earlier tonight um, from Luke Combs, it's called Where the Wild Things Are. Now, that that's an interesting situation there. Um, you've got a song that Luke didn't really write. This, is, this was a, another writer that wrote this song. Um, a lot of people believed, and I even believed, so I had to do the research, that this song was actually about his real brother passing away in a car accident. But it's not. It's a song that someone else wrote um, but Luke took it on and he was able to sing it with as much passion as he would with one of his own rights. Hmm. So it, it's it's tricky sometimes. But it, it's uh, part of it too is sitting down and, and being able to take a song and going, that's mine. I, like, I can do that. Um, even if it's a right from someone else. Um, and we had mentioned too co-writing. Um, co-writing has been something that I've uh, gotten involved with in the past two years as well and it's interesting because it, it does start to mold how you write 
because you start thinking about the fact that there was many times in my co-write that I would say something and they're like, ah, you know what, maybe not. And this, and this is the reason why, because you don't want to make it too generic. You want to make it personal, but at the same right, you want it to mix and mingle with the rest of your song. So there, there's definitely things that I've learned through co-writing and, and a lot of people in the industry will tell you, get, get into a co-write. Learn learn a bit more about writing, and it will mold how you do future writing as well. And that makes sense too. Like learning from the pros and learning from people who have different strengths and skill sets that maybe you are developing, mm-hmm. right? So that's cool to see, and uh, I'm glad to see and hear that uh, there's been a lot of growth for you there. Because I believe that some of the secret stuff Craig's got coming. Um, when you hear that, like. It's really good, and, it, and it's, I'm not just saying that because I'm your friend. No, I can, um, I can hear the difference in it too. Yeah, and that was very evident to me right yeah. away. Uh, what are some of your biggest highlights? Like, what are some of the things that, when you're thinking back about the last few years, are you like, oh man, I was so happy that this happened, or I'm really proud of this? Like, what are your big highlights? Um, Sweet Summer Nights was uh, 100% my right, and most most of my songs are, um, and. It was tough because it was one of those songs that it went down to Nashville and some Nashville writers wanted to change it up because they felt that it wasn't what they couldn't see the story behind it. Um, and I get a little bit angry about it and I wrote them back and I said, no, this is the story. Follow the story. Then you tell me what you want to do with it. But I'd rather have the song stay the way it is. Hmm. Um, they did write back and they said, you know what? You're right. This does have a picture to it. I can see it. Now that you've now that you've explained it a bit better, um, sometimes Nashville writers want to tweak your song just because they want to gain some royalties from it, and they want to put that southern twang on it. I would guess. Yep. <laughs> um, so you get you get writers, especially in Nashville, that want to add things like um, something about a beer or a neon sign or the rearview mirror pickup truck. Yep, pickup truck. Um, now now it's the uh, dusty road or or something like that and so that's it's a lot of generic stuff that they put in that's trendy i guess yeah right but that's that's a valuable like uh uh, let's say marketing strategy to jump on things that are Mm -hmm. trending right yeah and so you've you've got a dynamic in which especially with co-writing that you've you've got to back up and say okay is this 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 is my business mind thinking now is this going to help my song Go ahead, because let's face it: if you spend between fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars just recording a song, that's not even getting the song out. Mm-hmm. That's just recording it. You want to make sure that you're going to get a return on your investment, and that's in the business world. That's what you're looking for. Yeah. So if you're just writing the music to so that you can express yourself, then you're not expecting money back from it. But if you do want to make money off of this business, then you need to be willing to take corrections from people that know how the business works well let's jump into that money topic because i am always really interested in learning uh how the world of money affects different things so like to become a country music artist Mm -hmm. like what money is involved is that just to rent out a microphone can you do all this stuff at home uh like what does it actually cost to do some of these things well and there could be a, a big upfront cost if you want to do a lot of the recording at your house. 
So um, like buying your own equipment, software, etc. Yep, software, microphones, instruments. Uh, do you know people that do that, or do you have to be pretty technical in order to do all um, that stuff yourself? There are there are guys out there. In fact, I know one of them personally that are teaching people how to be uh, recording engineers in their own home. Oh, cool! And telling them what kind of products to buy how to get there, how to use things like Cubase and, th and things like that to, to mix their music with. And they could learn all that through like YouTube or yeah. online program yep. or something. One of the guys that I know personally is Chris, Chris Salem. He's a, a French guy from Quebec. He's moved to Alberta recently. He's a good friend of mine. And he's got a YouTube following of over 100,000 um, teaching how to use Cubase. Cool. And all of the different add-ons and features of it. Um, and so he's actually come alongside me recently and said that he may want to help me, but also use that as part of his program, mm. showing new people how to how to get started in a in a home based recording studio of their own. Um, but yeah, it, it does cost money. It costs money for the computers. It costs money for the microphones for the whole setup. Um, so you can either go that way, or you can pay a studio sixty bucks an hour to work on your songs and then pay the other instruments that come in the, the musicians that come in that 100 150 bucks per song mm -hmm. um and so then your your price keeps going up so if you want a good produced song and it's not a home produced song but it's also a song that's produced and ready for radio it's mm -hmm. going to cost you a good two to three thousand dollars right based off their repertoire of who they've worked with too yep. if it's Brett Kissel or somebody else, mm -hmm. then like these big names in the country music scene, they're yeah. going to produce quality for you. So you're going to, you're going to get what you pay for, I'm guessing. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, so studio space. Yep. Somebody to mix it, edit, yep. all that stuff. You've now, got somebody doing your bookings for you. Um, have you in the past? Yes, I have someone that does the bookings for me now. That's a little easier because they take 10% of whatever they book. So there's there's an onus on them to book for me so mm -hmm. that they can, too, make money. Okay. Um, so it's a win-win in that yeah. scenario. Yep. And a win for the uh, venue that is getting somebody to play there. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the pitfalls that a lot of musicians run into is if they don't have their own gear, most times a lot of the smaller pubs, places that um, guys that are getting started in the industry – go to they, they have to bring their own equipment so then that's an extra right. cost if they um, have to to rent that right and that would be from a music store or wherever yep okay so you're not getting a lot of the big paid gigs right off the bat you're going to be probably just breaking even as you start out because you're going to have to be renting gear and driving to these places and you got to factor all that into it so really at the end of the night you might make a hundred bucks but it's like a costco chicken you're going to lose money but you'll like have a big you're chicken. Going, well, yeah, you're going to lose money, right? Costco loses like $40 million a year yep. off of their chicken. It's called a lost lead. And hopefully you're getting your name out there and going to be getting called back to do shows at that venue in the future. Yeah. Um, hopefully you don't lose money, uh, but you're balancing out like, I'm just started getting my name out there, etc. Yep. with I'm doing this professionally. And there's a balance there. But I'm sure that a lot of people would probably want to pay you the least amount possible. I didn't know that about the chicken. Okay. But well, uh, it makes you. sense because I bought the chicken breast from there and they're so much cheaper, but they're big. Yeah. Well, that's why they lose a lot of money. Hey, now, man. 
back to your that brings world. me back to Costco. He doesn't realize I've been talking about podcasts, uh, that on my podcast and uh, <laughs> videos excellent. for a while. Now. I love chicken from Costco. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> let's get move from Costco to country. Um, like reel it in here, Craig. Um, mm-hmm. But like when you think about that, like is there that expectation that like you should work for free or are you contacted by um, charities and events, etc.? Huh. Like sometimes really good. Yeah, here's the classic the classic statement in the music world is, "Hey, come here and play for exposure." We exposure, Uh, love it. I see. I saw that before you even did that. We're going to have twenty people here, or we're going to have two hundred people here, or two thousand. And typically speaking, when you show up for the exposure retreat, barely anybody's there. Right. So, like, let's say I was a venue that reached out to you. And I said, I'll, I'll give you the exposure you need. Mm-hmm. Um, like what number would it have to be for you to be like, yeah, you have this many people when I walk in the venue ready to go, yep. I'll do it for free. Like, is there a number for you or would you be like, no? That's a tough one. But I, I would say I want to be promised between 50 to 100 minimum mm-hmm. to be there if they want me to come for an exposure. And, and I would lean more towards 100 because yeah. honestly, I can see 50's you not actually. Exposure. Yeah, I can. I can see when you said that. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if he completely agrees with that. I put him on the spot. He's giving yeah. me a number, but yeah. So anything over a hundred. Yeah. To start, I've I've shown up to exposure gigs where yeah. they told me that there was going to be news um, broadcasters there, and I go back and look at it, and the broadcasters weren't anywhere near the stage. They were interviewing other people, and not once did they show us or or tag us in anything right and um yeah like i think that that's just a hard world for me to think about and navigate because i've never really been on the receiving side of that maybe there's been times with good reason i do think that i might have approached some not somebody but like a hotel or something like that Mm -hmm. looking for exposure but i was paying for i wasn't really getting anything for free in that scenario. I just think it's such an interesting dynamic for people uh, in some careers like yours that people have to, to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you've done way bigger shows than a hundred people mm-hmm. that you've been paid for. Yep. Um, so it's interesting to just kind of think starting out yep. where you kind of to justify that. And the funny thing is with a lot of these exposure gigs is they're not just asking for an hour of music. They want, what you would normally do in a paid gig, which is three different, three 45 minute sets. So you're there on stage for three hours Hmm. and they want it for free for exposure. Right. And so not only are you getting no exposure half the time, but you're also paying for the equipment because a lot of them that want you to come in for the exposure also don't have equipment for you to use. So you have to bring your own equipment. Yeah. So, so for young people that are starting out, for old people that are starting out back to what we talked about earlier mm-hmm. for people new to that industry like is exposure worth it is exposure the way to go this is what i would say if you want exposure learn how to build your tiktok learn how to build your instagram that's your exposure yeah you can you can pay 50 bucks on facebook and and have whatever post you made go out to a bunch of different places and get more exposure than you're going to get mm. at a lot of your exposure gigs. Is that is that a tool that you've used before? Uh, absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, just, and I've had to for my single releases. Um, but I, I did a lot of paid ads for one of my singles that I put out and it was actually the Christmas one. And I went from 1.3 or 1,300 people on my Facebook to 3.6, so 3,600 mm. within two weeks. Yeah. So that's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, social media, from my perspective, like you being able to control even I think like people in the area or areas that you are in or want to be in. Mm -hmm. So you could target Calgary as yep. a city. You can target Edmonton. You can target places in BC or maybe down into the States. Yep, exactly. Like so specific. It seems to me like it's, it's a scary win -win. at times, but yes. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. Um, are there success stories that you know uh, from other artists that are doing that? Too? Justin Bieber. Justin well, okay. Bieber was a success story of a simple YouTube hmm. performance that went wild, and then he ended up becoming a multimillionaire for right. his music. Yeah, that's how he was discovered, right? Yep, Just a simple YouTube exactly video. How he was discovered. Um, and that was free. He wasn't even doing paid ads at the time. You probably didn't yep. even didn't even have that option on YouTube when no. he was starting out. No. Um, some recent ones, I think the James Barker band, if I'm correct, um, they're doing really well now as a Canadian band, but they're down in Nashville. I think a lot of theirs was on TikTok. Um, another guy I know, uh, Greg Ryder, he's not necessarily big in the country music world, like on radio and stuff, but he's also got 75,000 people on his TikTok. Mm -hmm. so, so when he, like when somebody like that would have, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think about it in email lists. Mm -hmm. I grow my email list by giving out something for free. Mm -hmm. People give me their email. And eventually when I have something to release, mm -hmm. that's a product or that's something that's really valuable. I've got an audience of a hundred, 500, a yep. thousand, 5,000 people yep. that I'm launching that out to right away. Does that work in the music scene too? That's what a lot of people push you to do. Um, I need to be a bit more, um, on my email mailing list uh, I don't use it as much but I also don't have a, a big following on that so there's a, there's a few things as a as a solo artist if you don't have the money to pay people to do stuff for you you've got to put that extra work in sometimes to, yeah. to make it happen um, so a, a big part of it is just learning to focus on what you're good at and do it well until you can finally branch out into other places which is also something I'm learning more about now yeah Cool. So just kind of wrapping this up, um, any advice for other people that are looking to pursue music, not as a hobby, but as a career? Is there one like lasting piece, uh, one, one really important fact, uh, skill, whatever that you have to just challenge people on to end things here? Uh, honestly, I, I'll go right back to what I said before. If you, if you want to make it, you got to know what you're doing. You gotta practice. You gotta you gotta perfect your performance, and a lot of it's gonna come out of that. And you can get going on social media. You can do a lot of stuff, but if you don't have anything to follow that up, if you do get caught by someone and saying, "Hey, we want you," but you've got nothing to show them after that, other than the same thing you just put on your YouTube, then you're not going anywhere. So you need to have something behind you. You need to have your your foundation built up, which is your ability. And your your ability to perform and to sing and to and to play, so that when you do get that break, you're ready to take it. 
Awesome. That's great advice. And uh, just to wrap things up here, I want to make sure that people know where they can connect with you. So social medias, this is your time to plug, tell people where they can find you, where they can listen to your stuff, where they can learn more about who you are and what you do. Well, Matt, that's at craigsilvermusic.com. Anyway, <laughs> that's my website, craigsilvermusic.com. You can check me out on that. Or you can, and this is not a, a big full of myself type thing. It was also $3,600 to make this happen. We were talking about search engine optimization. Just type in Craig Silver Music into Google and you'll find every single thing that I have. So, awesome. And Craig's. you're also on Instagram instagram and spotify every streaming venue you have um, one of the easiest ways that you can support any musician is by simply going liking following and subscribing to what they do it doesn't cost you a penny it just costs you a couple minutes yeah that's the beautiful thing about the internet whether it's listening to music like stuff that craig does uh or you're watching a video like i do here on my podcast or on youtube uh, most of the time it's free to support people and there are other ways to support people, but we really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you jumping onto this conversation, Craig. It's been fun and I look forward to doing it again. Thank you, sir. If you like what you heard on today's podcast episode and want to connect with Craig Silver, I've left the links down to his website below. So please check that out. And thanks for listening. Please share and review our podcast on your favorite platform and I'll see you in the next episode. 